Thank you, Christopher, for that ministry of music. I want to thank the instrumentalists also for the offertory. I appreciate uh, week after week how so much thought is gone into by our musicians uh, to pick music that really complements uh, the uh, morning message. So thank you for the thought that goes into our ministries of music as well. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. The Apostle Paul has been ridiculed by his opponents. He has been mocked. He's been disparaged. And the opponents have not been at all bashful about boasting concerning their exploits and their achievements. As a result, there has been an element in Corinth that has disparaged the Apostle Paul. That they have not listened to him, they have not regarded his word with much integrity, and as a result, it has displeased and dishonored the Lord. So Paul has been put in that unenviable position of having to defend himself. Sometimes it's difficult to get people to listen to what you have to say. You may have to do something rather outlandish in order to make a point. For Paul, today he's going to do something rather outlandish that is out of character for him. Namely, he's going to sing his own praise. He's going to talk about his accomplishments. He's going to talk about what he's done. If you want to compare, the Apostle Paul says, I'll compare with you and your life and your commitment. But then there's a a twist at the end, and that uh, twist is rather intriguing. It comes out of the blue. It uh, is unexpected. Uh, I love plots that have a twist at the end. Some of you may remember The Sting. And in that particular movie, the audience is stung at the end as well. There's another movie, Dirty Rotten Rotten Scoundrels, in which, again, at the end, uh, the uh, people are surprised. There's a surprise ending. In this particular passage, there's a surprise ending to Paul's boasting that we want to see. But we begin with Paul's boasting about his accomplishments in order to compete with the hearts and minds of the people in Corinth. Key verses, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 21. Paul says, To my shame, I must say that we have been weak by comparison. Here, Paul is talking tongue-in-cheek. He's, he's saying this in a mockery. He's saying this in an ironic sort of way. In comparison, if you want to look at how they've abused you, how they have hit you in the face in this text, how they've taken advantage of you, yeah, if you want to make that comparison, we've been weak. We haven't hit you in the face. We haven't uh, abused you. We haven't taken advantage of you. We haven't taken your money. We haven't done any of those kinds of things. And if that's what you prize, well, then we are weak in comparison. But then he goes on to say this in the second half of the verse. But in whatever respect anyone else is bold or has confidence, I speak in foolishness, I am just as confident or bold myself. Paul says in whatever area these false teachers want to express confidence or boldness, 
Paul says, I will match them. Every step of the way. Anything they want to talk about boldness, anything they want to talk about confidence, I can measure up. So, first of all, Paul makes a comparison concerning Jewish heritage. Jewish heritage. Evidently, many of these false teachers had a Jewish background. And so Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11.22, Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. And so you see that comparison. Are they? So am I. Are they? So am I. Are they? So am I. In the early church, many of the Jewish Christians had a tendency to look down upon the Gentile converts. The Jewish Christians thought themselves to be superior because of their background, because of their their history, because they had a relationship with God as they viewed it that was special as being a chosen people. And the Gentiles who came from a very irreligious background, many of them living wicked and deplorable lives, the Jewish converts tended to look down their nose at them as being inferior. And they tried to make them feel inferior. Oftentimes, circumcision was an issue. One of which, being Jewish, they would have been circumcised. The Gentiles would not have been circumcised. And many of the Jews kept telling the Gentile converts to Christianity, you need to be circumcised as well. Well, that wasn't true. But Paul here is looking at the claims of these Jewish false teachers. And they make three claims, all of which Paul is able to meet. First, he says in verse 22, are they Hebrews? Are they Hebrews? Not only did the Jews look down upon the Gentiles, but the very religious Jews looked down upon the secular Jews. Hebrews were Jews that could, in fact, speak Hebrew. Jews that couldn't speak Hebrew were referred to as Hellenist Jews. They were Greek-speaking Jews. By the time of the New Testament, Israel had been in captivity. They had been in Babylon. They had gone through many conquerors. And as a result, unless you were a pretty religious Jew, you wouldn't have known Hebrew any longer. The reason you would have known Hebrew was to study the Scriptures. But if you just wanted to do business, if you just wanted to get along, it would have been Greek that you would have learned. Just as in our day and age, some of you have um, German background. Some of you can speak Pennsylvania Dutch. The vast majority of those that have German descent can't speak German any longer. Or, you know, if you have French descent, you probably can't speak French. You speak English. Well, so it was the New Testament era. But Paul says, I'm a Hebrew-speaking Jew. Paul was a religious Jew. He says, are they Israelites? Are they a part of the nation? Well, so was I. And uh, certainly Paul could have bragged, as he did in Philippians, about the fact that he was sat under the feet of Gamaliel, 
Uh, he had uh, practiced all parts of the law, blameless in them. Uh, he was a devoted religious Jew. He says, are they descendants of Abraham? He said, so am I. Again, in the New Testament era, before uh, people came to faith in Jesus Christ, it was possible for a Gentile to become a Jewish convert. That they would be numbered among the Jewish people. They would be viewed as a religious person. They would be accepted as part of the nation of Israel. And they referred to as proselytes. Proselytes. But the Gentiles that converted to Judaism were by, for the most part, second-class citizens. So Paul says, am I a religious Jew? Certainly I am. But not only am I a religious Jew by conversion, but I am full flesh. I'm a descendant of Abraham. I'm a physical Jew as well. So in any way that anyone wanted to boast about being Jewish and being superior, Paul could match them step by step. Now that may seem pretty far out there for us because we don't encounter that. We, it's pretty alien to us, that eruditeness, that sense of superiority that a Jewish Christian may have over a Gentile Christian. But we know, all know about people that boast in their heritages, people that boast in their backgrounds. In our culture, in our day, it might be somebody who grew up in the church. They had always been a part of the church. They were carried to the church as, a, as an infant. They lived a pretty good life. They've always gone to Sunday school. They know all the Sunday school stories. And there may be a tendency to look down their nose at somebody who comes in with no religious background, who hasn't been a part of the church, who maybe had lived a pretty wild lifestyle or whatever and has been converted and now knows the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. And for some reason, they may view themselves as superior as a result. Certainly shouldn't. Certainly shouldn't feel that way. There may be somebody who says, you know, I come from a long line of pastors or my father was an elder. He was the district superintendent. He was this. He was that. And they look at their family heritage and think they're superior because they can go back for generations and see committedness to Jesus Christ. And they think that makes them something special. Well, it doesn't. It doesn't. We're all converted by grace to the Lord Jesus Christ. We're all on equal footing. But there were those that were coming into the church seeking to intimidate and seeking to elevate themselves. And they were finding fault with Paul. And all Paul is saying to these people, they're elevating themselves. I can match you step for step. Secondly, Paul compares favorably in commitment to Christ. These false teachers boasted in their devotion to Christ. Notice verse 23. Are they servants of Christ? Are they servants of Christ? Do they want to talk about their service to Christ? They want to elevate themselves as being tremendously devoted or committed. Well, Paul surpasses these false teachers in comparison to commitment to Christ. Notice verse 23. Are they servants of Christ? 
Then he says this, I more so. I more so. They're servants to Christ? Ha! I got them beat by a mile. For not only does Paul surpass these false teachers in commitment to Christ, he blows them away. Notice verse 23. I more so, in far more labors, in far more imprisonments. You want to make a comparison, Paul says. All right, let's make a comparison. Let's talk about your work. Let's talk about what you've done. Let's talk about your accomplishments. I've got a whole lot more than anything you can bring to the table. You want to talk about commitment? Let's talk about being in prison. Let's talk about how many times you were in prison. And then let's talk about how many times I was in prison. You want to talk about commitment? Notice this list in 2 Corinthians 11:23 and following. Beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Now we have this amazing, impressive list demonstrating Paul's amazing service to Christ. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. According to the Old Testament, the book of Deuteronomy, a person could be flogged 40 times for their punishment. But the Jews, afraid that they may miscount, always lashed 39 times instead of 40, just so somebody wouldn't get 41 lashes. Paul says, five times that happened to me. Five times my back was laid bare under these these lashes. And what a what a gruesome uh, instrument that they would use. It had a long wooden handle. It had leather straps embedded with pieces of glass and stone just to rip the back bare. Five times I received 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Sticks. Clubbed, if you will. Just think of a nightstick that a policeman might use. And we saw... Uh, the uh, video of a person being beaten with a nightstick. Paul beaten three times with rods. Once he was stoned and left for dead. They thought that they had killed him, but they hadn't. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen. Dangers from the Gentiles. Dangers in the city. Dangers in the wilderness. Dangers on the sea. Dangers among false brethren. You might say that he'd been in danger. And he knew what danger was like. Paul wasn't intimidated by these individuals. He wasn't afraid to come to uh, Corinth, as they were saying. That the reason he hadn't come was because they were, he was afraid to deal with them. Paul wasn't afraid He hadn't shown himself to be afraid. Paul was a fearless individual who went through danger after danger after danger. And not only that, but he had suffered. Verse 27. I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. He went without time And time again. And then Paul says in verse 28, 
And apart from these external things, apart from all of the outside problems, all the, the physical pain and suffering that I could endure, Paul says in verse 28, apart from such external things, there's the daily pressure on me of concerns for all the churches. Because they were accusing Paul of not being concerned about the Corinthians. That's why Paul didn't come. He hadn't been concerned. Concerned, Paul says in verse 29, who's weak without my being weak? Who do I don't identify with? People who cry, I cry with. People who are, who are heavy laden, I'm heavy laden with. Who is led into sin without my intense concern? So Paul, Paul goes through all these things. Have you ever marveled at the Apostle Paul? You know all the, all the Bible stories, you read a passage like this. Have you ever just kind of stopped and considered and, and thought, man, what an outstanding individual. You know, uh, if anyone, you know, the Apostle Paul probably had an SC on his chest. You know, super Christian? He was a super Christian. Paul wasn't like other people. Paul was committed where other people weren't committed. Paul was courageous where other people weren't courageous. Paul made sacrifice where other people weren't making sacrifice. Clearly, Paul was something special, we must conclude. And there's a tendency to put people like that on pedestals. People that we know that have made great sacrifices. People that have demonstrated great commitment. Sometimes we think of missionaries in that way. Especially those that go to hard and difficult places. Primitive situations in which they give up the creature comforts in order to share the gospel with them. And we shake our head and say, wow, they, they must be something special. They must be a unique person. They're worthy of listening to. Here's the twist. Here's the twist. Paul is superior to the false prophets because Paul does not boast in his strength but his weakness. Paul boasts in the very thing that Paul is being ridiculed for, namely being weak. His opponents were finding fault with Paul because of his weakness. You've got to go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, starting with verse 1. I wish that you would bear with me a little foolishness, but indeed you are bearing with me, for I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. Go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. Now I, Paul, myself, urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Paul had been meek, Paul had been gentle among them. And they had not prized that. They had not regarded it. So Paul says... You compelled me to boast. You compelled me to boast. Verse 30 says, If I have to boast, I will boast about what pertains to my weakness. 
The boasting in weakness seems absurd to the Corinthians. Whereas Paul's boasting in his accomplishment seems crazy to Paul. Go back to verse 23. And there is a phrase that I omitted when I read it. 2 Corinthians 11.23 Are they servants of Christ? And Paul introduces this section with the words, I speak as if insane. And the NIV translates verse 23, I'm out of my mind to talk like this. King James says, I speak as a fool. But the word for fool in verse 23 is different from the word for fool earlier in the passage. Paul isn't just speaking like a fool now. A fool being a person who is an unbeliever. Paul's not just talking like an unbeliever. Paul now says, I'm talking like I'm an idiot. Not, excuse me, not an idiot. I'm talking like I'm crazy. I'm talking like I'm insane. I'm talking like, like I'm nuts to talk like this. And what are the nutty things he's saying? That he's a far more dedicated Christian. That I've worked harder, been in prison more frequently, flogged more severely, been exposed to death and danger all these times. That's crazy talk. Why was that crazy talk? Wasn't it true? Wasn't that true? Hadn't he been in more imprisonments? Yeah, that was true. Hadn't he been shipwrecked? Yeah, that was true. Had he really been beaten five times? Yeah, that's true. Had he been beaten with rods three times? Yeah, that's true. It's all true. But it's crazy talk. Why is it crazy talk? Verse 30. Verse 30. If I have to boast, I will boast about what pertains to weakness. If I have to talk about confidence, I'm going to talk about confidence in relationship to weakness. Paul now says in verse 31, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever, knows that I'm not lying. When Paul talks about boasting in weakness, it is so out of the ordinary that Paul says, you know, I'm not lying when I'm talking about boasting and weakness. I'm telling you the truth. Because the Corinthians thought, this element of Corinthians at least, thought that what Paul had just said made sense. Paul says no. That was crazy talk. And then he says this. Acts, uh, excuse me. Then he says this. Verse 31 and following. The God and Father, Lord Jesus Christ, he who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. Verse 32, in Damascus, the ethnarch under Aretas, the king, was guarding the city of the Damascans in order to seize me. And I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall, and so escaped his hands. Now, if you look at verses 32 and verse 33, and if you just 
make a cursory reading. You know, you're just reading through your Bible, and you get to verses 32 and 33. It sounds anticlimactic. We've just been talking about beatings, and we've been talking about imprisonments. We've talking about all these things. And now we're talking about being let down a city wall in a basket, and it sounds anticlimactic. What Paul is referring to is an incident that occurred. It's recorded in Acts chapter 9. In fact, it's the first recorded story of the Apostle Paul's ministry. It happens very shortly after his conversion. In fact, in Acts chapter 9, where this occurs, Paul's not even referred to as Paul, but he's referred to as Saul, which was his name prior to his conversion, though he's converted at this time. Acts chapter 9, verse 22. Listen to the, the narrative. But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus by providing, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. And when many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted together to do away with him. But their plot became known to Saul. And they were also watching the gates day and night so that they might put him to death. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a large basket. What are we to understand from this story? I believe that we're to understand that the Apostle Paul, then known as Saul, early on in his conversion, started preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And people became so irate that they were going to seize him and they threatened to put him to death. And Paul, or Saul at that time, the Apostle Paul, when he hears of their plans, escapes. The word to uh, escape is actually to be smuggled. He was smuggled out in a, in a basket. And what probably motivated his escaping in this basket was fear. He was afraid of being arrested. He was afraid of being put on trial. He was afraid of being put to death. Now, lest you think that I am being too harsh on the Apostle Paul, remember that he's saying in verse 30, I'm going to talk about my weakness. I'm not going to boast about my strength. I'm going to boast about my weakness. Let me tell you about my weakness. Let me tell you about this time early on in my ministry when I'm in Damascus and they're ready to kill me. You know what I do? I run. I run. I get smuggled out at night in a basket. In Proverbs chapter 21, verse 22, it says this. A wise man scales the city of the mighty 
and brings down the stronghold in which they trust. Earlier in the passage, Paul says, I fight with strongholds. We saw that two weeks ago. In the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, it's the same word. I think Paul is making an allusion to this passage. Paul says, I break down strongholds. I take cities. I go against fortified walls. But let me tell you about a time when I didn't climb the wall. Let me tell you about a time when I was lowered down over a wall in a basket. Let me tell you about that incident. The incident early on in Paul's ministry. Paul, later in life, is arrested. He is on trial. He is standing and defending his life. And the Apostle Paul relates his testimony. He talks about being... He talks about encountering the Lord Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. He saw a great light. Acts 26, 15. I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But arise and stand on your feet. For this purpose I have appeared to you, to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but to the things in which I will appear to you. Now these words, delivering you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light from the dominion of Satan. God had told Paul on the day that he was converted, I am going to deliver you from the Gentiles. I'm going to deliver you from the Jews. They're going to hate you. They are going to persecute you. But I'm going to deliver you because I have a purpose for you. And that is to be a witness. And on the very first instance, after that commissioning of Jesus Christ, when Paul is sharing his faith, and the very first danger is encountered, from which God had promised to deliver him, he runs. He runs. Paul had to come to grips with that setback. Paul was weak in himself. He had learned not to boast in himself. In Proverbs 21-22, it reads, A wise man scales the city of the mighty and brings down the stronghold in which they trust. The next two verses are very appropriate. That's why I think Paul was alluding to this passage. He who guards his mouth and his tongue guards his soul from troubles. Proud, haughty scoffers are his names who acts with insolent pride. The point of the passage is that all that Paul had been willing to suffer and endure for the cause of Christ had not been accomplished by his own strength, 
but by Christ's strength. This is an initial example of what Paul is going to conclude in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 9 and 10. If you turn there, this is the end of this discourse on being foolish. And in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, Paul said, this is regarding the thorn in the flesh. We'll look at that next week. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weakness that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul said to these Corinthian believers who were impressed by these false teachers. Paul says, you want to talk about accomplishments? I can match you step for step. You want to talk about commitment? I can go way beyond anything you've done. But I'm talking like a fool, Paul says, because it's not what I've done. It doesn't make me superior. It doesn't make me better. It doesn't make me unique. Because Paul says, in my own strength, I run. I'm no more courageous. I'm no more daring. I'm no more committed than anyone else. It's the grace of God in my life, Paul says. Paul doesn't want to point people to himself. He wants to point people to Jesus Christ. Paul doesn't want people to be impressed with his exploits. He wants people to be impressed with what God can do with a weak and feeble and frail individual. Paul doesn't want them to be impressed with his grandeur. Paul wants them to be amazed at the transforming power of the grace of God. To marvel at one who is so weak, to be made so strong. To marvel at the work in the life of an individual who has relied upon the promises of God. A transformation from relying upon his own ancestry to relying upon a relationship to Jesus Christ, not alone. A transformation from weakness to strength, from fear to courage, from insecurity to boldness. A real boldness that enabled him to face danger and death. And yes, certainly these opposers in Corinth. Paul was enabled. I would say to you two primary applications. First, do we speak enough about God's grace in our lives? When people praise us, when people speak well of us, when we're at work and people pat us on the back, are we clear to point out that we're no different than they are? 
We don't have any hidden strength. We are not super people. We are as people who have known the grace of God in our lives. We need to talk about our weaknesses. We need to talk about how frail our marriages have been. And how God has brought healing and strength. How God has transformed us. We've got to talk about our, our insecurities, our fears. When people marvel at how bold we can be. No, that's not my natural tendency. That's not my makeup. That's not who I am. If only you knew my fears. If only you knew my doubts. We need to make people know our doubts. We need to make people know our fears. The Apostle Paul spent ten chapters in vulnerability, talking about how fearful, how afraid he was, how discouraged he was at times, how despondent he was. And they looked upon him as weak. And Paul says, you should look at me as weak. I am weak. But through Christ I can be bold. What Paul wanted to do was point the Corinthians to Jesus Christ to free them. Paul said, they have enslaved you. They have deluded you. They have brought you under their power. They're taking advantage of you. Rather than free you and point you to Jesus Christ. The great message is, for Paul, you can all do this. Whatever I'm doing, you can do. By the grace and power of Jesus Christ. I'm simply doing what He's called me to do. And you're able to do it as well. Building confidence. Not in ourselves. But in Jesus Christ. The second application, of course, is just as clear and just as important. And that is, are we impressed by the braggart? Do we hold people up in high esteem that tout their praises, their accomplishments, who want to talk about what they have done for Jesus Christ? Do we look at them and marvel and say, wow, what abilities? What talents? How good looking? How bold? How courageous? Wow, what a person. Or do we look beyond them and say, what a mighty God to use even a person such as that to bring honor and glory to Jesus Christ? The message of this passage is don't be impressed by people. Be impressed with Jesus Christ. Don't make comparisons among ourselves. Compare ourselves to who we were before and what we are now. Don't look down on people because of their ancestry. Don't try to intimidate people because of the grace of God in our lives. Paul says, you, you forced me into this. He said, you, talk, you forced me to talk not only foolishly, but like a crazy person. Like a crazy person. Such boasting is nuts. For whatever we have accomplished, 
It's by the grace of God. We don't even have power over our own lives. We can't keep ourselves alive. It's by the grace of God that He gives us breath. We can do nothing apart from Him. Paul says to these Corinthians, forget those people that are boasting in themselves. If you want to boast, boast in Jesus Christ and what He has done, what He has accomplished, what He has brought about. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, let such a person boast in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, help us to have confidence not in people, but in You. Help us to see that that which separates, as we view separation, as we view accomplishments, is really the grace of God, the empowering ability and enablement of God. Lord, help us, first of all, to understand our own weakness, our own fears, our own inadequacies. Help us to come to grips with them and and to embrace them, not to deny them, and not to overestimate ourselves. May we readily, readily relate to the Apostle Paul when he hears of the danger to want to be smuggled out, lowered down over a city wall at night, and run. And then, Lord, help us to marvel, not at the Apostle Paul, but at you, who took such a person, who initially ran, to now take such courageous stands, to be beaten, to be imprisoned, to be stoned, and continue to go on. Lord, we marvel today, not at Paul, but at you. And we humbly plead, our Lord, that you would do a similar work in us, Take our weaknesses and make us strong for you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.